No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. On behalf of the Lifehack team, thank you for watching this video. And for more clips and beneficial content, please subscribe to the Lifehack channel, your number one source for personal Islamic development. We have a special guest with us, and we have with us also uh, different uh, du'at from amongst the brothers uh, here in Western Canada. And uh, I want to just introduce our uh, special guest, Sheikh speaker, advisor for this session, Sheikh Abu Toba. Uh, he is uh, somebody who is uh, very dear to me. I truly appreciate his presence, his contribution. And um, without further delay, I just want to get right into it because we're going to be talking about a topic that's very important and that's really being brought out, uh, especially in the West, uh, in terms of uh, the definition of even what it means to be a man. But we know that um, there is a very deep meaning and a very uh, deep understanding of what it means to be a man from a Muslim concept. And so um, I want to just get right into it. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'd like to welcome all of you, especially uh, Sheikh Abu Toba. Welcome, my dear, dear brother. How are you? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for inviting me and giving me such a nice introduction. Barakallah fikum. And I'm happy to be here to talk to the brothers today and answer these questions. I too believe it's a very important subject. And I'm glad that, that at least we're addressing it. Alhamdulillah. Yes. Alhamdulillah. And... Uh, you know, it's like I, I remember when I was growing up because that uh, that one pop group or that R&B group was very popular, uh, you know, boys to men. So we had on the washroom, it said, uh, you know, like boys washroom, but then somebody added two men on there. Right. So the idea was they would walk in, you know, as boys. And when you graduate, you're going to come out as uh, as men. Uh, unfortunately, even the definition and all of those things are being thrown out the window. So um, I think it'll be a good idea for us to now raise our own voices and talk about, hey, what is the deeper understanding? Not necessarily like a reactionary understanding, but what is the understanding we've always had and that we should be secure in of what it means uh, to be a, um, uh, a well, uh, healthy, uh, you know, sunnah practicing Muslim man. So... Uh, Let's just start off, uh, Sheikh. What do you see? Like, what would you say um, are some of the main traits that a Muslim man should have, and so that we can uh, aspire to those traits? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. The subject of what it means to be a man is a, an Islamic issue. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. There's whole books written now called uh, al-muru'a, masculinity or manhood in Islam. Mm -hmm. And muru'a is something that Umar ibn Khattab, he mentions about. He says, when I used to see a, a young man, promising young man, he says, he become nusbul ayn, he gets up in my face and I'm like really happy to meet him. Then I start to talk to him, I start to interrogate him. And when I find out that he has no skills, Okay, he drops out of my sight. The measure of a man is what he can he, he excels in, what he brings to the table. Otherwise, he's in the boy position. The boy position is in a position of taking, the male position is in a position of giving. But it's not just broken down so easily. There's the step-by-step -step progression that fiqh gives us. The first one is me and my Lord, where the young man, he first has to establish himself in his deen, that understanding his deen, me and my Lord. Then the next step is me and my trade, what do I can do. The next step is me and my family, my wife, my children. And the third step is me and my greater community, my country. Mm -hmm contributions. These are the steps of a man, to the progressive steps that a man has to take in order to establish himself 
as a man. Being a man, as we say here, we call it the warrior scholar. So the person has to be in physical shape. Now, fat is a shape, but a man has to be able to, like we talk about Turgut Alp, if you ever see the the the, the uh, or Turgut series. Turgut Alp is a real person. At 125, he's on the battlefield with an axe. Okay? Wow. At the age of 125, he dies. Mm. Fighting on the battlefield with his axe. So we have the physical capabilities of a man is supposed to have. The mental capabilities that a man is supposed to have, and this is when we talk about having the ability to do something, okay? And then knowing how to pick friends, okay? And so we say there, there are five things that a person has to have, five virtues. And then we have all the examples of the prophets and the examples of the Sahaba to give us hope, so many examples of what it means to be a man. Mm. As far as the five virtues, the first and, 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 and well, I should say, the Ummahatul Fadail, since say five, is four. The first one is Shuja'a, boldness and bravery. If you don't have enough, then we call you a coward, right? Mm. And if you have much we say he's rambunctious he's he's hasty the bravest man in the world was abu Bakr al-siddiq he had this quality the virtue so any man has to have these four virtues the first one is braveness courageousness an example of that is an abu Bakr. from these four virtues all other virtues are born okay so how can we identify this braveness in abu Bakr? Abu Bakr, when the Prophet said, Tasaddaqu, he gave everything he had. He gave everything he owned. That's how courageous he was. Because we don't give because we're scared we might need it for ourselves. Mm. But Abu Bakr, and we always look at Omar because he's so big, he's a giant. We think of him as so brave, but no, he only gave half. Abu Bakr gave everything. Okay? Mm. So that braveness. An example, and from that, is sadaqah is born out of that braveness. Mercy is born out of that braveness. Consideration for others is born out of that braveness. Mm -hmm. The second quality is justice. Justice, the most just man in the world after the Prophet was Umar ibn Khattab. And what did they say about Umar? During his reign as a Khalifa, you couldn't find anyone to give sadaqah to. There's a katu because of what comes out of justice. There's no extreme justice. It's doing what you're supposed to do to the extent you're supposed to do it and not doing too little. So what comes, what's born out of this virtue is husnu tadabbur. Now, good management. He managed the Muslim ummah and it grew five times its size during the management of Umar bin al-Khattab. So we have two qualities, okay? Two more, two virtues. The third virtue, it comes from the great companion of Uthman ibn Affan. So it's Ifa, his name Affan, Ifa, which is discipline. Mm -hmm. Being able to, to control yourself. And how was he murdered? He was murdered, radiallahu anhu, he was fasting and writing out the Quran. Two great, great examples of discipline, okay? So we see what comes out of this. This fasting comes out of that. Reciting the Quran and being dedicated to that particular uh, great achievement. And the, the fourth virtue is wisdom. And it said the most wisest of the companions after the Prophet was Ali. Because what happened? Omar said, I would barely make a decision without asking Ali. He made him a judge during his time, even though they were younger the younger Sahaba. When there was a question, they went to Ali to ask Ali about what, what did the Prophet do? How could he not be the wisest person when he grew up in the house of the Prophet The first male to accept Islam after the Prophet um, brought the message, even though he was still a child. And so we have these four virtues that every man should shoot for. And if they have these four virtues, then they will be able to 
you know, face the challenges that, that they face in the world. Okay. Inshallah mm-hmm. ta'ala. That's what I, I would like to start it off and give just give you one more example and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys ask questions. Mm-hmm. Is Omar al-Khattab, he was asked, he told people, he said, make a wish, tamanna, right? Mm-hmm. He told them, yes. make a wish, standing at the Kaaba. Make a wish. And they said, I wish I had a house full of gold. Another person said, and Omar said, ah, that's not a wish. Another guy said, hey, I wish we had a house for gold and gems and diamonds. And person said, that ain't a wish. Make a wish. They said, you make a wish. Yeah, Amir al-Mu'mineen. He said, I wish I had a room full of men like Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, radiallahu anhu. So he said that. Look at the, how, how what he said. I wish I had a room full of men like Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. The Amin of this Ummah, the most trustworthy man in this Ummah, as the Prophet said. The man who ran away from his father three times during the Battle of Badr, and then when he faced him the next time, he killed his own father, Fi Sabilillah. So if we can look into the lives of these people, we can get great examples of how to live like men. If we read the Sunan of Abi Dawood, we'll see many, many examples of how we should be men and we should not change our criteria of manhood because of the the modern uh, propaganda and uh, desire of the people. It's not a democracy. Mm. Okay. That's what I have to say. And if someone has to um, want some questions, we can build on that. You know, Sheikh, uh, what's uh, I I think um, important uh, to note in what you just stated, are even though you say that it's not a democracy, these are attributes that no one would deny their importance or their greatness. Who would say that being courageous is something that is bad? It doesn't matter what you know your belief system is, or justice, or discipline, or wisdom. You know these are all deeper understandings. Uh, and characteristic traits that nobody can deny, you know, whether uh, I would say they're Muslim or uh, non-Muslim. So actually, I want to get, you know, some of these brothers involved here uh, to see where, what is the state of our brothers right now? Uh, Because, you know, many of you obviously, uh, either young professionals in the Dawah university setting. So, uh, Abdurrahman, do you see uh courage do you, do you see courage uh, as a predominant trait amongst brothers uh where you're at assalamu alaikum jazakallah khairan sheikh abu toba and to all of you guys uh i'm kind of one of your students online we have never met <laughs> but yeah i, I watch your youtube ajrumiya uh, uh, series was really good uh so in terms of courage Honestly, I would say some are trying, and that's not that predominant because uh, there is no incentive in the community to be courageous. You know, in the West, everyone is so individualistic. So you'll be like, why do you have to be courageous to give, for example, when you're only responsible for yourself? Why do you have to be courageous to stand up to someone who's doing oppression? Because if he's not doing it to you, it's none of your business. So like we have things like this that really encourage everyone to, you know, to be really just think about himself. And, and if you're only thinking about yourself, then ultimately you don't uh, need courage. So I'll just say that's not that predominant. Okay. Actually, uh, you made a good point, Sheikh, about the sadaqa and courage. You know, I, I noticed that, you know, the, you know, certain traits, they're grouped together. You know, a person who is courageous, they are more willing to give fisabilillah. And, you know, the antithesis of that is somebody who is miserly, someone who is individualistic, someone who just thinks about themselves. You know, a person, and, and I think they're all, you can't have, like, each of these traits you discuss breeds the other trait. Like, you know, a person who is courageous, they have to uh, stand up for justice. You know, uh, a person who truly stands up for justice, they have to be disciplined. Uh, you know, you have to be, uh, you know, be intelligent. You have to be a wise person to be able to implement all of these different things in your life. Um, 
Do any of you have any questions in, in regards to some of these traits? Go ahead. Before you do that, I'd like to just yeah. make a, you know, Jazakumullah khair, you know, uh, Abdurrahman, because what he said is important for us to take a look at side note. You know, in in United States, you know, we have we had the North Atlantic slave system, which mm. was an extreme uh, system of slavery that outdid all the other slave systems in the world. When we study this system, Alhamdulillah, what we find is that they have dead documented because they never expected Africans to learn how to read. They documented everything. One of the things they documented is when to note a seasoned slave. A seasoned slave or a broken person. So they noted that a, a seasoned slave is the one you can take the chains off of them when you put them up at night. You can trust him with the knives and the rakes. You don't have to worry about him running away. He's a seasoned slave when he is concerned and he's more concerned about his own self and he is no longer concerned about the group. That was the criteria where they, they looked at. So when Abdurrahman says, you know, look, people are being told, just worry about yourself. Then are we living in a democracy? Are we living in a free society? Or are we living in a society that is promoting slavery? Mm. Okay. And, and, and people to be in this surf system where, you know, you're so afraid about your own self that you don't even care. That's called fascism. Mm. Not sure. You know, you know, Sheikh, uh, because you mentioned you, you link it, uh, uh, I think that's a very powerful analogy that you made in, a, uh, in, in comparison to slavery. But also, I believe Malcolm X, he mentioned that one of the ways that uh, they developed the slave mentality was to take the manhood away from uh, from those slaves. You know, to and if we see that today, it's like that's what on mass that is you know the attempt that's trying to be done that you know take away your identity as what it means to be uh a real a real man you, you know what i mean um shahir do you have a question that you wanted to ask i believe you had your question go ahead for for going into this um really uh important uh conversation here subhanallah um, you know, and uh, just just to respond a little bit to um, that that question um, that Dark Said was posing as well. Uh, you know, you find with the advent of social media, um, everyone can hide behind false aliases, and that mm -hmm. that concept of courage is is so warped now. And you know, more and more, you find people that are you know, in their pushing their 20s, coming in their 30s, but that, that degree of maturity that, that comes with those aspects you're talking about aren't really there. And uh, Husnain um, from SFU, uh, he was having this conversation about, you know, we see from the Sahaba and from their history that young men were able to accomplish so much at very young ages, whereas you look at the, you know, those same ages in our demographic today, you know, like a lot of them are, are still like, you know, like relying on their parents to do everything for them. So Hussein actually had a really good question. I, I want to ask uh, ask him if he can come on the mic and uh, ask that really good question that he had. Go ahead, Hussein. Uh, yeah, so when we see boys turning into men, we see the age of 18 in the Western world, right? Like that's when boys become adults. But we don't treat them as men. Like they're not con considered as men. Like when it comes to being manly and engaging in stuff that men should be engaging in, we consider them as being still young. Like, oh, they're still young. We don't need to involve them yet. Let them grow. Like, let them study, right? So I, I'm just wondering, why is, that a, why is that a reality today? Where when, when these boys are growing up, they're not seen as men until, like, later on when they're developed, sitting down. And we see that as young men, they have the most energy. Right? And we're missing out on, on the energy that the boys and these young men have. But we're not able to access that. And that's being suppressed by society. Sheikh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. As you were saying, that, you know, Jazakumullah Khair, both of you, all three of you, I should say. You know, when he was saying, and I started to write down here, you know, example, the young Sahaba, 
Well, first, the problem is this. Number one, we have lost track of our culture, our Islamic culture, where Islam tells us when we become men. So if we stick to the Islamic ideal of when we become men and we stop following this ideology, because there's a war going on. And the war, the first war, is the ideology, the idea war. So when you or me believe, we talk about aqidah, and we say, where is Allah, and who is Allah, and these things like that. But aqidah is broader than that as well. Aqidah is your worldview, how you view reality. So if you've been taught that you only become a man at 18, then you have a calf of reality. When Islam teaches you that you become a man at the latest is 15, when you become pubic, you are a man. When you become mukallif, you are a man. And so if you wait till 18, what's the benefit? Now you're behind. The parents think they have more time to develop this man. The child doesn't believe he's a man at the right time. So he's years behind the ball. Whereas if we're raising the child to be a man and a man being defined, even if we look at the Geneva Convention, the Geneva Convention has documented that you can kill anybody that's 15 to 55. That's when they kill them and you see them on the TV and they say these were military age combatants. Mm. That means they were 15 to 55. Mm. That's all it means. And they could have possibly been that. So if we're raising our young children to be men by the time they are 15, meaning that we're allowing and accepting that at this age, they are ready to go fight and die. Because that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. When they were 14 years old, they were standing on their tippy toes with the men, trying to get permission to go fight and kill. And the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't allow someone who was a minor to go fight and kill and die. So this sets the standard right there. Once we do that, and now we understand and accept the Qadr of Allah, that now as a parent, we're not responsible for their sins. Once they become mukallif, we'll raise them to be adults by the time they're 15 years old. We'll prepare them. But if we think we have more time, and if we're told by these other cultural indicators that we are still responsible for certain things regarding these young adults, then they'll never become adults until they're 30, 40 years old. And, and this becomes a problem. They say the new 18 is 21. What they're saying now is that people are no longer mature even by the time they get to be 18. Well, mm -hmm. I'm saying they're supposed to be mature by the time they're 15. So we need to change our aqidah, our mm -hmm. worldview, and look to see what the Prophet Sallallahu saw and give those responsibilities, as you said, but those responsibilities, there's no generation gap in Islam. It's not supposed to be, okay? We start off very early, as the Prophet said, everybody's born in the fitrah, and then the parents turned them into Jews or Christians. What that means is you'll see a young child, very young, going to the school early in the morning or going, getting tutored to take the math and, and, and the, the science tests and get everything done. But if you say, hey, take that same child to Quran school at that time, oh, he's too young. He's still too young. You say, get him a thobe. Oh, no, he's too young to wear it, but she's watching Dora the Explorer. It's watching how to be a princess. And so his mind is developing and you're teaching this child ideas that go against his Islamic culture. So then by the time he gets old, then you see this, there's a separation. You're telling me to do something that you haven't trained me to be. Does that make sense? Yes. And so we have to start, you know, developing the end result. As that, that, that famous writer said, begin with the end in mind. If we do this, then we will be develop a trust for each other. There is a lack of trust as the last part of it is, as the older ones are afraid of the younger ones and what they might do. Does that make sense as well? So what do you, what do you, th what do you think are some uh, practical things that we can do now to facilitate this development? Because obviously society's structures that are in place aren't going to do it for us. So what are some things now? Just go ahead. The first thing is what you're doing right now. 
Alhamdulillah. The very first thing is have the conversation, okay? Stop making like that, you know, pretending that you don't see the elephant in the room. So that's the first step. After having the initial conversation and having, you know, this allows people to now think and get it, get it out there, you know? Once it's out there and everybody is, is thinking about it, there are going to be other people who are going to be able to give some really good ideas. Hey, I heard your program. Here, what do you guys think about that? And that's something we didn't think about. That's another portion, piece of it that we can bring to the table. Okay? So that's the first thing. The second thing is supporting uh, efforts or programs, initiatives, that are training and raising the children to be men by the time they're 15. Third thing is setting the criteria of what it does it mean to be a man. For example, you know, and, and clearing up these uh, misconceptions that you said somebody was saying, I think we should hear saying, you know, there's things that they're throwing out there that's setting confusion. Like uh, uh, you got to get in touch with your feminine side, or they they start defining this extreme uh, macho-ness as though it's sinful to be manly. We have to say, hold on now, a man doesn't have a feminine side, okay? Unless he's married, then his feminine side is his wife, okay? That's your feminine side, okay? Yeah. And if you're not married, your feminine side is your sister, you know? But we don't have a feminine side. And the prophet cursed the man who had a feminine side. He said that, La'natullah, the curse of Allah is on an effeminate man. And the curse of Allah is upon a mannish woman. So we need to define these things according to the criteria set by Islam, set by Islam and start to clarify for the men what, you know, what we're supposed to be like and what we're not. Sheikh, uh, one of the things uh, that you mentioned that I just... Uh feel that we should also clarify is that uh, when we talk about like quote-unquote feminine traits or like uh, masculine traits or being very macho man um, we have our own definition of what is feminine and masculine for example uh, I've seen for like when people lean on that argument or Muslims adopt that argument oh you know uh, we shouldn't like, uh, you know, f feminine traits are good, for example, because like, oh, like we should have, uh, you know, be comfortable with our men if they cry and stuff like that. And I immediately uh, questioned, I said, wait a minute, you have now ascribed crying as a feminine trait, but that's not necessarily like if we look at, for example, the Sahaba, you know, crying when they're hearing the Quran, you know what I mean? Crying when they're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not restricted to a feminine trait. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? And so I think that's very important for us to appreciate that we have, a, like, as you said, we have a different worldview that, you know, some of the most manliest brothers I have met uh, will cry when they see the condition of their Muslims. You know what I mean? Like when they see suffering of Muslims or in, in Salah, when there is certain ayat of the Akhirah are being recited, they cry. You know what I mean? And these are very, uh, you know, manly men. So I think, uh, you know, maybe if you can comment on that, that, you know, sometimes when we look at what it means, like these masculine and feminine traits that we have to actually redefine what is like exclusive you know, that there's there's not an exclusivity on certain actions, you know, with uh, a certain type of gender. Okay, you know, Alhamdulillah, you're exactly right. There are two things that we need to uh, respect with, becomes, with regards to uh, what is masculine and the definition of muru'a. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, go in the room there, find the, the book muru'a on the top shelf. Uh, you know what it is. Number one. Like you said, the first thing we have to do is go back to the, the Sahaba and, and, and see what they were the example of manhood for them. They were example. Umar ibn Khattab, the, out of all the Sahaba, Umar ibn Khattab cried the most. Mm. He cried so most, he had so so much, he had lines developed in his face, in his face from all his crying. Okay? So definitely, thank you, Jazakallah. So definitely, uh, crying in and of itself is not a, a feminine trait. Uh, when I was growing up, men cooking in the kitchen was seen as a feminine trait. 
but it's not a feminine trait. Some guys like to cook. In fact, the best chefs in the world are, are men, you know? So, and then I think Bill Cosby, he came out with that program and he was like the first, you know, dad on TV who was really breaking that idea that a man could wear an apron and, and not lose his cool. But for us, they're, they're, I'm sorry, also, there are cultural things that are allowed in, to define manhood differently, okay? Like in, in me growing up, I was always told a man can't wear pink, you know? You know, in New York, we are told, no, you don't wear pink. But when you go to Africa, you go to Pakistan, guys wear pink any, any day of the week and there's nothing feminine about them. It's just that in one area, this may be something that they do in another area, they don't do it that way. Here's an excellent quote that people can look at is Al-Muru'a wa Quram Qawarimuha. Okay? This is manhood in Islam. Mas not manhood in the sense that women can't read it. Because Al-Muru'a means chivalry from the man's side and to be the ultimate lady from the woman's side. And the things that take away from it. Now, some things in this book are, are cultural. Okay, but it does set some type of standard. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we have to go back to the definitions set by the Quran and Sunnah and take our culture and put them through that, that grading system. Whatever remains, that's what we keep. Whatever the perimeters are, then that's what we allow. Okay, we just because I may not do them, that's a personal inclination, right? But if it's within the perimeters, we should not pigeonhole Islam and say, well, look, this guy, he wore white. Oh, how dare he wear white? You know, you can't wear white on Wednesdays. Who said that? We made our own definition and then we threw everybody else out because they didn't fit within our mind, our little limited view. So, alhamdulillah, uh, that's what I have to say about that particular issue. Hope that makes some sense. Yes, Jazamah Khair, Sheikh. Shahir, you had uh, some other questions from the brothers. Yeah, no, JazakAllah khair. Um, uh, again, Shiuk, you've, you've really um, identified the issue. Um, a lot of brothers that I encounter, and as the brothers were discussing this, we find that um, there's a lot of people trying to pull and define what it means to be a man um, in general, right? And not just from the Islamic perspective. Everyone's trying to claim masculinity. They're trying to define it. If you go to a certain... Uh, if you cross a certain boundary, now it's toxic masculinity. There's a lot of terms. And it's confusing people because like Sheikh uh, Abu Toba was mentioning, um, there's our culture that, you know, we've grown up with. I've come from Pakistani background. There's certain things that I've been taught, but I grew up here. I, yeah, actually, I was born in New York. I grew up here um, also in Canada. So a, a lot of that, um, you know, also plays a factor in what it means to be a man. So how do we go, uh, like, but no one, I, I would say looking back, no one's actually really had a sit down with me and, you know, may Allah bless my father, may Allah bless all the people in my life, but, you know, no one's actually had a sit down with me and be like, okay, Shahir, these are some of the qualities that, you know, you, you need to have, these are some qualities that you shouldn't have. And I find that, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, I think things worked out for me, but, you know, what do we say to those brothers that are out there maybe listening to this, that are struggling with, you know, all these different viewpoints um, that are coming up? You know, that's my question. And I also want to pass the mic over to uh, uh, Muhammad Mahjoub because uh, he was saying one of the, the traps that uh, a lot of men are falling into, there's a lot of traps for us out there too. Um, and a lot of it has to do with how much, uh, of fahisha and immorality is propagated that a lot of men are falling into and we feel that that's causing a lot of challenges for men as well. So maybe uh, Muhammad Mahjoub, if, if you want to maybe um, talk a little bit about what uh, what we were discussing about that, about like our safeguarding, our modesty, um, go ahead, brother. Before he does, before you go, Muhammad Mahjoub, let me, let me just respond to things so we don't mix up. <laughs> You know, issues too much. Do you mind, Mohammed? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because you, you said about five things that I wanted to just um, point out is, is important. Number one, you said not just from the Islamic perspective. We should not care about anything except the Islamic perspective, and that's part of the problem. Okay, we do not musawa, we do not equalize the savage way 
with the Islamic way. One way is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you said, okay, there's things out there, people are, are saying, hey, how to be Muslim? And we have from the Islamic perspective and we have from the others. We shouldn't pay attention to that other thing because those other things are, are not important to us. You know, all the guidance we have, we don't need to do go go outside of that. Um, this this term you mentioned, other than that, was toxic masculinity. I was trying to think of it. I'd he I've heard this term also, where they try to make like masculinity is uh, toxic. You know, um, this is again the the the, the propaganda that's mm -hmm. out there that's pushing an actual a feminist uh, uh, propaganda, prep a feminist uh, agenda. Is there such a thing as toxic femininity? Or is just somebody being a jerk? Because yeah. somebody, a man could be a jerk, right? Yeah. And a woman could be a jerk. You know, and so then we can we can play with this whole type of thing like that. But there is this, we have to make sure we stop these, uh, we, we, we become more than just simple-minded people and, and let these terms play on us. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity when Allah tells us to be men. Rijalu. Okay? He tells us that they love to make tahara is a sign of what men are who give their word and they keep their word. How to be a man is clearly defined in the Quran and Sunnah. Now we want to talk about the Indo-Pak society in general. I noticed that they don't talk to their children about things that they consider to be taboo. They don't talk about sex and these types of things. Don't prepare them for something that's like, okay, just learn it, how you learn it. A lot of the immigrants have, that have come to the Western societies have done, in my opinion, a, a great disservice to their children. Because now look at these children. They come to the West, you know, and they, they see the African-American who's been there four or 500 years say, man, what is going on with these guys? But in less than 40 years, their children fall into what took us 400 years to fall victim to. Okay? You understand what I mean? Which is being confused about who you are. Okay? If you're born in Russia, it doesn't make you a Russian. You know? Where, where, you, where you're born does not change your ethnic identity. And so what we need to first understand is who we are as people. And I'm not, I don't mean that for anybody here on this board. But I'm saying this helps a person understand who he is as a person. Note, the first story in the Quran is the story about Adam's beginning. So we're taught the importance, this story indicates to us the importance of our origins, knowing who we are. So there's an identity crisis that's going on in the West. And this is the, the, the fact that they were having an identity crisis based on our gender is only based on beginning, not knowing who we are as people and where we come from and not even knowing the stories of our grandfathers and our great grandfathers and how we got into this particular situation we are now. So that's where we should start so that we can understand how did you get here today and why? What happened to make it so that we have so many Muslims and the Muslim world is so great and large that we're crowding this tiny place of Western Europe and it's crowding into the United States and Canada and all these British and American French colonies, uh, places. What is going on that we feel we hate our places and we're so intimidated by our places that we're, we're so, uh, you know, uh, disengaged with our places that we would rather live amongst people who declare that they hate us, okay? And work against our, our own uh, benefit all the time. That's the thing. Now, the role of men, you know, you said there's people who have problems. They have problems defining what the role of man is. Allah declares it for us. The first role is for us to provide and protect. Provide and protect. Now, provide is interesting because it also includes not just provisions of food, which a lot of people think, oh, house, food, clothing. No, education as well. As Ibn Abbas, and he said about the ayah, save yourself and your family from the fire. This is what a man's supposed to do to save himself and his family. So obviously he's talking about the man to do that, you know? And Ibn Abbas, he said, this means that the man has to teach his wife and children everything they need to stay away from the fire and then everything they need to get into Jannah. 
Because Allah says, whoever can crawl away, drag himself away from the fire and enter the Jannah, then he has been successful. So the first concern is to provide them with the means they need to stay out of the fire. Okay? And the next need is to teach them things they need so they can get into Jannah. This is the man's job. This is the things, and 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 what you know, what what you were saying just to, as a precursor, you know, the exposure to all the sexual, you know, uh, fahisha, it does have a negative effect on our intellect. You know, uh, these days, you you'll be amazed at how many people call me and talk about you know pornography and and things, and even some people are married and they have this because you know the things that they do in 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 the the advertisements now, when I was a child, either it was only done by prostitutes or it was considered pornography. So you see, the criteria for what is pornography has gone lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. You know, the way they talk and they curse on TV, they didn't do that when I was growing up. So the society is sinking, you know, and that is having a negative effect on us. And as a, res as a, a result of that, you know, well, let me say this. The cure for that is being around men, being around men, older men that, that are going to benefit you and help teach you the things that you need to do to engage your wife, to engage your children, to engage the society that you live in, to fulfill that, that role that men are supposed to have. You know what, Umar ibn Khattab, he used to beat his bed and he used to make fun of men who spent too much time at home with their wives. He's a punch his bed when he gets up. You're trying to hold me down. You're trying to keep me down. You ain't going to keep me down. And so what we've forgotten, we go to our wives and we inundate them with all of our time. Poor lady doesn't have a life. You wonder why she can't get nothing done. Because she's inundated with you. Right? She has no time to do and, and grow and have a life for herself. We're supposed to have companions, men, that we do things with. That we sit down and talk about the men issues with. And then we're supposed to go to our wives and have good, nicer, lighter conversations, more relaxed issues. Don't include them in all the heavy issues. And then you wonder why they're acting crazy because they're not built to deal with those types of heavy issues all the time like that. Well, we are. So this is one of the things we're, we're giving the wrong type of companionship to the women. And we're not getting that companionship that we're supposed to get from the men. I, I thank you for allowing me to go right there, Mohammed. Go ahead. Sheikh, uh, before, I just want to mention a, a couple of things, uh, you know, in regards to what you said. I agree with you that, you know, the overwhelming culture sometimes of a lot of the immigrants that came here was like to be more docile, be more conformatist and, and, and all that. But uh, I can tell you that's that's not an absolute rule. Uh, because when the opposite happens, it does have a big effect. Like, for example, myself growing up, I grew up in a predominantly like, you know, white uh, society. Uh, you know, my, my you know parents were immigrants. But my father taught me from like a very, very young age that he's like, I don't want you to cause trouble. Uh, but if, you know, you do not allow anybody to pick on you, you do not allow anyone to like bully you and you, you have my full permission. He gave me like a blank check. You have my full permission to fight back anybody. And he came cause he came as an immigrant, as a teenager and he got bullied and he told me his stories of how he used to fight back. And so I remember, uh, you know, Sheikh being like, you know, six, seven years old, my dad putting me in Taekwondo just for the fact that I can fight back against people who would try to bully me or anything like that nature. And it had a profound effect because I felt giving me that confidence by making me like competent in something in a martial art, I could stand up for other people now. You know, so if I saw other people getting bullied, if I saw other people, uh, you know, being oppressed, that it gave me a sense of like uh, ability that I can do something righteous about it. So uh, I would say, yes, that is an overwhelming culture. But if we teach our kids from a young age, it does have a significant effect because that shaped, you know, how I grew up and, you know, how I interacted with uh, my society. And, uh, you know, just segueing into what probably Muhammad Mahjoub talked about and what, you, what you're mentioning in terms of like the fahasha and the pornography, I think that's probably had one of the most uh, serious effects on our understanding of manhood 
because like as you mentioned it has a such a destructive effect on ourselves mentally spiritually like there are studies that show that it actually causes brain damage it, it you know sheikh it it actually damages the brain cells in your frontal cortex you know the your forelock and what is our forelock responsible for judgment what will we be grabbed by you know on the day of judgment is our forelock you know subhanallah and you know uh, this is uh, you know something that science like acknowledges that it is damaging uh, for that so uh, muhammad um, you know maybe we can segue in. yeah go ahead go ahead the key words that you said here was and you're right it's, it's, i was talking in general terms not every yeah. not absolute the key words that you said there are two ones my father taught me yes you see that that becomes what we are all talking about here my father taught me and the other thing is the result was of that was a, a sense of permission and self-confidence mm -hmm. and again this again goes back to what i said identity you know killing that identity crisis you know mm -hmm. So even if when you're being patient, you feel like, okay, vindicated that there's no break between you and your father. He understands what you're going through. And um, as far as the, the, the sexual things, I'd like to hear what Mr. Muhammad has to say as well. Bismillah. Go ahead, Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. for like the amazing discussions. Well, like my question is related to the discussion itself, but like it's more about the practical side. Like we are already living in a society where modesty and haya is, is discouraged and uh, fahisha, zina, uh, fornication, pornication, all of it are being promoted as the correct way to live. So how can we as a Muslims living in the West, what are practical tips for us to maintain and safeguard our modesty? And Jazakumullah khair. Sheikh, uh, what are your... Uh comments in regards to that you know uh, practical steps on maintaining modesty okay that's what i'm, I'm focusing that good to start yeah. with Muhammad. Uh, yes okay alhamdulillah rabbil alameen it's, it's, it's amazing uh, question uh, because uh, i'm going to tell you a sad story first i remember uh, there was a guy in, in prison he uh, they were stripping the men and putting them in the shower I had to get in the shower and there were a bunch of female guards there who were saying strip take it off and everything and one guy refuses i'm not stripping in front of this woman that's not right this is what do you care you're a guy and the guy was like yeah you know i, I still you know I, i'm just because i'm a guy doesn't mean i want to be naked in front of some women and so of course they forced the guy to strip and the ladies were laughing at him and stuff like that and the guy committed suicide Okay, when they put him back into his um, cell, he hung himself, okay, over the extreme shame he felt of uh, losing his modesty or what he saw as that. If you look at what they did in Guantanamo Bay as some of the techniques, and they have it online, what they used, they stripped the men naked and had women interrogators because they knew that the people who were Muslim would be you know, out of their element. And this time you're naked and this woman is interrogating you. This puts you at a sense of stress that would stress us because of the loss of modesty in this regard. I'm sometimes ashamed when I walk down the street and I see the ladies nakedness and you see it and it's blatant and you feel a sense of, 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 of horror and um, disgust and, and uncomfortability for just witnessing it. You know, so, it is a very important issue uh, to, to deal with. So how do we deal with it? The first thing is to note it, okay? Don't hide the fact that we need to be modest. The second, again, we go always back to the Quran, lower your gaze. Lower your gaze, okay? When you're walking, you know, I'm a very security-minded person, and lowering my gaze was something I had to learn how to do and still analyze the person to make sure they weren't a threat to me. You know what I'm saying? So you still take your look, note if the person's not a threat, then lower your gaze and don't pay attention to them. The Prophet used to walk fast. I tried this. When you walk fast with purpose, shaitan is harder for the shaitan 
People don't bother you they, they, as much and you see less of their things. So walk fast when you're out in the street, going to a place and everything like that. You'll get even better service when you walk fast, walk with purpose. I'm not saying run, but walk with purpose. Omar al-Khattab said he used to make jihad trying to keep up with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam walking. And Omar was a giant. So walk fast. Next thing, get married. And when I say get married, don't just get married to one poor lady. Get married to two, okay? Don't worry. Ladies like ugly guys, Abdurrahman. You don't gotta, you know, they, 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 they're good like that. I don't know, you know, we, so we'll, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now we're all ugly guys. Come, who, would you want to marry some a lady with a beard and a mustache? So, you know, they gotta like, you know, us type of guys. But get married. Getting married really protects you. And those women will be guards. They're, they're doorkeepers. They're watching you too. You get my point? And have intercourse with your wives. This is another thing. Satisfy your desires with your wife. Okay? Be home after Isha. As the Prophet ﷺ said, unless there was a legitimate reason to be out, the Prophet ﷺ and his companions we're not out. What's the ruling of talking to people after Isha? The ruling is that it's makruh, unless it's talabul ilm or darura or a necessity. Whether you're seeking knowledge or there's a necessity. What does this do? This limits your exposure. Okay. Only watch programs that are that are fitting in your worldview. Okay, in my house, I don't allow my children to watch any programs in English. This immediately takes away a whole bunch of media that doesn't benefit them, and it sets them up for the future because now their language skills in multiple languages benefits them greatly. And if you only know English, then you're really not going to get far in the world because the rest of the world is speaking multiple languages. You get my point? So it makes them strong in this regard. And be around the brothers. Take up some sport. Like when I say sport, I don't mean soccer. I don't mean basketball. I mean martial arts, as the Prophet said. Bow and arrow, you know, those types of things. Horseback riding, swimming. Doing these physical things helps you. Okay? It really does. It, it takes your energy for those types of things, and it helps you. Don't eat too much sugar at nighttime, unless you're home and you're staying home, and you're going to be home in that regard. These are things that I say, get up in the morning time and make sure you're in the masjid. If you're focusing on getting to the masjid at Fajr, you know, then this is going to help you in, in, in keeping your modesty. Be around those who make you shy, as the Prophet said, be around those who make you shy. If you're being around shameless people, you do anything. But you're around people that's going to tell you, nah, man, don't do it like that. Or you know they're not going to accept that. It's going to make you have some control about yourself as well. These are some suggestions that, um, and, and of course, astaghfirullah, I should have said reading, first and foremost. Read the stories of the Sahaba, read the stories of the Tabi'een, watch their movies when they come on. These things will inspire you, you know, they'll inspire you. And of course, reading the Quran. I hope that helps, inshallah ta'ala. You, you know, Sheikh, I think you've, uh, when we talk about like that concept of modesty and manhood, what a difference, Sheikh, compared to the Western idea of macho-ness and manliness, right? Like we've seen through the generations growing up, right? Well, somebody who's uh, macho and manly, he's with scantily clad women. Uh, he himself is dressed with like, you know, whether it's in the 70s, tight jeans, bell bottoms, you know what I mean? Like, uh, or like, you know, as fashion progressed into different, you know, uh, uh, like ways of like trying to show your muscles and your manhood and you know but it's it's the antithesis of haya and modesty whereas from a from a muslim perspective look at how different that's why i think it's important to reflect upon what the sheikh said at the beginning about your world view so for us manliness sheikh who was one of the most manliest prophets has to be musa alayhi and he was known so much for his haya Right, like he was known that his haya was so much he wouldn't bathe with Bani Israel. They were like saying, "Oh, you have what a deformity? You're not bathing with us." Right, this is the the amount of haya, and he was the most manly. Like you know, someone who's so manly, <laughs> you know, slapping <laughs> the uh, angel of death. 
you know and so uh or you know if we look at uh when you talk when you mentioned the story about the prison my mind immediately went to the dua of imam ahmed when he was being tortured and he was making dua to allah that do not scandalize me that i don't my my body does not get exposed you know this was this was the main concern that he had you know that imam ahmed uh, rahimahullah had so you know subhanallah the the concept that we have we should not overlook that or kind of just skim over that point that our world view when it comes to uh being a man from a muslim perspective it is a completely different concept it is so different you know sheikh go ahead yeah you know alhamdulillah rabbil alamin you mentioned a very important i mean a whole bunch of good things but one that i want to point on is clothing i should have mentioned clothing mm. to me you know, uh, well, not just to me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, man harrama zinatullah. Who, man, who, who has made haram the clothing, the zina, the beautification that Allah has given people? We are the only creation that wears clothing. Okay? And so this is a beautification of us. And so only savages want to be naked. The civilized person wants to wear that zina. And it seems to me that nowadays a lot of the men have more of a problem with following the sunnah and dressing Islamically than women do. Because sometimes we say, oh, the women don't wanna wear the, the jilbab and the khimar correctly. But the man's aura is out. His kubul and his dubur. He's not wearing a shirt that covers his aura properly, right? And, and so this is, is, we have this issue of covering. What is the aura of the man? From the navel to the knee. Well, that means we should not see the shape of your butt. We should not see the bulge of your groin. We should not see where your pants split in there. It should be covered loosely from your navel to your knees. And so that means your shirt should come down and cover that area and not be tucked in in your belly showing this area. Again, worldview. Now, somebody says, well, my job demands that I dress business casual or I dress business business. I worked on Wall Street. And I never wore anything but a thobe, okay? And I wore a thobe. I had it tailored so that it would cover and come down and dress, you know, right above the knees and in a way that I looked like I was wearing a tuxedo to work or, you know, on that level and always got best dressed at the job. And I was wearing a thobe. So we can do it. We have to dress like Muslims. And there's this, this oppositional thing where the women want to bring their clothes up and the men want to bring their clothes down. When a men are supposed to bring their clothes above the ankle, it doesn't have to be all the way up, but at least above, if you want to refuse it, at least above the ankle, right? But we disregard that. We disregard that and we don't cover our outer. And this is the beginning of the immodesty, the beginning of the immodesty. Covering our head. No, you don't have to wear a, a kufi on your head or something like that. But it sure beats the baseball cap. Okay? And if you look at the high life of the Sahaba, they, they, they considered the whole package and included something on the head. Of course, that thing changes over society. But there are identifiers that when someone knows you're Muslim, they're not going to come up and offer you crack. Right? When a girl sees that you're a young lady, sees that you're Muslim, it's less likely that this tramp is going to approach you. But if she can't tell you're Muslim, then she might try those little games on you. Okay? Alhamdulillah. And Allah knows best. Allah knows best. But yes, clothing is vital in, in deterring, you know, in, in increasing the modesty. Because the way you look, that's how you feel. If you, you look good, you feel good, right? You look like a million bucks, you walk like a million bucks. But if you don't, and they say the hands tell on you. I was walking down the street one time with my wife, and my wife had on niqab and the jilbab, and there was a lady approaching us, and she had on a miniskirt, okay, and a shirt. And her hands were telling on us. She kept pulling, as she got closer to us, she kept pulling on her shirt and pulling on her skirt. And I said, you know, I was taking psychology class at that time, and I said, look, her hands are telling us she feels uncomfortable dress like that in the face of seeing how she's supposed to dress when she sees the muslim lady so she's trying to stretch the material to pull the dress down a little bit trying to pull a shirt down to cover her belly a little bit more okay even though it's a subconscious 
So we should beautify our dress. So when the people see you, they say, man, this gotta be somebody. You are somebody, you know? You're not just anybody, you're somebody. And that's born out of your dress. And to the brothers, we're uh, actually out of time. It was a beautiful conversation. We had some beautiful advice, sage advice from Sheikh Abu Toba. Uh, we hoped, inshallah, to Sheikh to have you again and we can continue this uh, discussion, not of just this topic, because this topic we could talk on for days and we could really delve into it because there needs to be like, uh, you know, if there's not going to be any tajdeed in Islam without like real men, you know. And so I think this is one of the foundational uh, educational efforts that we need to do, inshallah ta'ala. So, jazama uh, khair for your time and jazama uh, khair for the brothers for coming up with those questions and uh, being here with us today. Jazama uh, khair for uh, everyone's contribution and um, we will continue this topic in the future. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. On behalf of the Lifehug team, thank you for watching this video. And for more clips and beneficial content, please subscribe to the Lifehug channel, your number one source for personal Islamic development. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.